Hello, this is Dr. Paul Looney. Welcome to a series entitled, Hi Daddy, Growing with God, Your Imperfect Parent. This series takes a look at how the Beatitudes create a pathway for us to grow in God. Happy New Year, everybody. Yeah, I missed y'all. I hope that in this happy new year, um, you find a happy new you. Um, anybody ready for something new in your life this year? Anybody want something fresh, something different, something better, a new and improved version of life, um, life 4.0 or something? I don't know where you are. <laughs> you may still be at life 1.0, but um, I want something fresh. I was just um, informed by um, my friend Federico. Where are you, Federico? Catalina, you guys stand up for a second. They're going to have another baby. So this couple, they're definitely going to experience something fresh, something new in 2013. Now, I'm ecstatic that it's them and not me that's going to have a new baby. Um, I have a grandbaby, which is pretty awesome, but I'm, I'm glad I'm past your season of life. But thrilled that you guys are going to have another baby. They do a good job at it, by the way. So, um, so we're, I'm very excited about that. But for all of us, I would like to think that nine months from now, something fresh would be born in all of our lives, that we would find something new in our relationship with God, our relationship with our families, in our relationship with our brothers and sisters, that the way that we do life would be radically different. In fact, that's what God calls us to. That's what Jesus came to accomplish. Um, I'm going to put up a slide that is Jesus talking to a guy named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a very godly guy, very, you know, sold out for, for doing what God wanted him to do. Um, but he realized that Jesus was not really PC. He wasn't politically correct to talk to Jesus. So he comes to him at night um, but because he's really curious about the things that Jesus is teaching. And he has a hunch that this man um, is more than a man and that he has something profound to offer Nicodemus. So Nicodemus says, hey, good teacher, you know, what do I do? What, what, what needs to happen to me? And Jesus responds to him as, you must be born again. Now, this is the first time that um, in Scripture that we hear Jesus say this. It's in John chapter 3. He says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus' response to that is, you must be kidding, right? Um, he, because he's like, how can I be, like, re-enter my mother's womb and come out again? Like, that's kind of creepy, right? You know, not to mention impossible. So, um, so Jesus is inviting Nicodemus to kind of think again about what it means to be in relationship with God. In other words, I think he's inviting Nicodemus to realize that life with God begins at a point of absolute helplessness. Like a newborn baby coming into the world, that God's desire for all of us is that we experience that, tr that transition from helplessness to wholeness in relationship with God. There's a, this next slide um, is kind of what we sometimes feel like that God is ask, inviting us to fill some pretty big shoes. And I think that that's really what Jesus was inviting Nicodemus and all of us to, is to begin a journey whereby we grow into 
the shoes that God has designed us to fill. He's made us for a purpose. He's made us with a destiny. But we don't get there immediately. When we come into relationship with God, we are just beginning. Um, and as we, as we are born again, it puts us on a journey where we are intended to grow up. He wants us not just to stay a baby, although being a baby is a great thing. You get kind of, you know, a lot of attention. You get a lot of cuddling. You get fed. And if you're lucky, you get the milk in these really nice, soft, beautiful containers, right? Um, it's awesome to be a baby, but God doesn't want you to stay there, right? He wants you to grow up. He wants you to get on the path and grow up. So um, it's a, but we're a little bit like um, this little kid I met uh, several years ago, and I had spoken at a church somewhere, and, and this lady came up to just, you know, greet me and uh, ask a question. Her little kid was kind of walking in front of her, and he is very... Uh, energetic little kid, and he goes, hi, my name is Bobby. I'm six. And I'm like, oh, hey, Bobby, it's great to meet you. And his mother's sitting, walking behind him. She's like, um, he's not really six. He's four. His brother's six. He just wishes to be six. And I thought, you know, how, how like that we are. You know, we wish to be further along than we really are. But you can't go from four to six without passing through five, right? It's a developmental process. And God wants all of us to engage it. Um, how do we get there? How do we get on the journey? How do we grow up? Well, good news is you're in a great place to learn it because the 12 steps and the eight Beatitudes really are a pathway to maturity. They really in, engage you in such a way that they will lead you from helplessness to wholeness, lead you from absolute powerlessness to a place of peace, a place of great promise and pleasure as you walk with God. It's a great thing. And we're just starting a series on the Beatitudes, and we'll make some connections with the 12 steps and the eight Beatitudes and the 10 cute little toes up there. Um, as we walk through them, you're going to realize that they provide us with a very elegant, very clear, very, um, shall we say, uh, challenging path toward maturity. And just, as, just like all of us have gone from babies to adults um, in our human identity, we're going to try to take you down that path to help you take the next steps in your journeyhood, in your journey from babyhood to maturity. So, the title of our series is going to be, Hi, Daddy, Growing with God, Your Perfect Parent. However, there's a little glitch here. If you press that, ah, Growing with God, Your Imperfect Parent. Okay, now I noticed some of you are already like going like, God is perfect. Um, how can you say God's imperfect? Well, it turns out that our idea of perfection when it comes to parenting is not always great. While successes and satisfactions are crucial for our growth, it turns out that failure and frustration are also vital in helping us grow up. Um, this is true in our human development, but it's even more true in our life with Christ. So how do the 12 steps and the Beatitudes inform our development as Christians? What sh why should we look at them from a developmental perspective? And how the heck can God be imperfect 
in any way. Well, as we said, Jesus tells us we must be born again. And the Apostle Paul says we should quit being childlike in our thinking and behavior, to put away childish ways. Peter encourages us to grow from babies to mature believers. So it makes sense to see our journey as one of development in relationship to God our Father and in conjunction with our spiritual family, all of you guys. Um, Just like our human families help us grow up as humans, our spiritual family can help us grow as spirit beings. We are uniquely designed to help each other along the way. While we, while we traverse that pathway with imperfect parents, we come into life with God, though, figuring that He's going to be our perfect parent, right? Isn't that what we want? We want God to do for us what our parents fail to do. We want Him to show up for us in ways that, he, that we can get Him, that He was available, attentive, protective, affirming, nurturing, and gratifying. That's what I want from God. I want it all the time, every day. From the time I wake up to the time I put my head on the pillow, I want him to constantly demonstrate his devotion, his dedication, and his perfect discipline. But on many fronts, it turns out for me, and I think you can agree with me, God sometimes falls short of the ideal. Ever feel frustrated with God? Ever feel a little disappointed or hurt that he doesn't seem to be there for you in the way that you wish, even when you're asking for some really good thing? I think we've all been there. But it turns out that the best parent is really not all that perfect. Our ideal of what a parent should be is really not, it turns out, ideal. The optimal parent is what pediatrician and psychoanalyst Donald Winnicott, most of you never heard that, that name, but He's a guy who made a significant contribution in learning about parenting by describing what he called the good enough mother or the good enough parent. He says that this mom, this good enough mom, is an ordinary person, an ordinary mother who loves and cares for her child in very ordinary ways. She's not always available, attentive, or patient. She vacillates between structure and spontaneity. She's firm but not rigid. She's generous but not overly gratifying. The limitations of her time and energy keep her from being all that any of her children might wish of her. Nevertheless, her children are able to grow into happy and healthy adults because she's good enough. It turns out that we all need to experience some what, what Winnicott called optimal frustration. In other words, when we cry as a baby, it's good sometimes if we have to cry a little louder, a little longer to really show that we really, really, really want that bottle or that cuddle. Um, It turns out that it's good if we have to be frustrated with our attempts to build a little tower and our mother doesn't rush in to build it for us or our daddy doesn't fix it for us. That frustration and failure spur us along the path of our growth. And sometimes when those we look to for help and encouragement fail us, we find some strength and encouragement within us that we can carry with us wherever we go. We learn that we can self-soothe when someone else is not there to soothe us. So we as God's children will find Him good enough as well. He answers prayers, but not always in the way that we can see or understand. He provides for our needs, but we often find ourselves waiting and wanting more, right? 
He protects us, but as Job found, his protection does not eliminate the possibility of devastation and loss. God, it turns out, is our imperfect parent. But he's perfect in his imperfection. Because unlike our human parents, God ultimately knows what we need. And he is fully dedicated to giving it to us. So what I'm proposing as we start out this series is that failure is not only inevitable, it's essential. It's not only part of the package, it's part of God's provision for us. So let's look at how failure figures in. First, let's look at our failures. Why does it help our progress for us to fail? Well, first, it allows us to experience our need for others and for God. I guarantee you, most of us would not be sitting in this room if we had not experienced some failure and some sense of our need for God and each other, right? I wouldn't be here. Truthfully, I do get paid to be here, but I wouldn't be doing this. Um, I could make more money doing something else. I love being here because I have experienced my need for God and for you guys. Secondly, our failures allow us to experience grace and forgiveness. The Bible says where sin abounds, grace abounds the more. In other words, whatever deep pit you've, you've sunk to in your life, grace will meet you to the depth of your depravity. The more sick you are, the more salvation will soothe you. The more, uh, the more gory the details of your life, the more grace will, will fill in. It's an awesome thing. And for some of us, it kind of is frustrating because some of our brothers and sisters that have really gotten off track have found more grace and more healing than some of us who kind of tried to toe the line. It's frankly frustrating. But our failures allow us to experience grace and forgiveness from God and for others. Next, they allow us to realize that we have value even when we fail. You know, one thing God wants you to learn this year more than ever before is that your worth in his eyes does not depend on your performance. Isn't that great? That's good news. You know, one thing I love about Jesus' story on the earth, for 30 years, he did nothing that, that was considered significant. And yet when he was baptized by, by John the Baptist, before he had done any ministry to speak of, God says something very cool. He says, this is my son. This is my beloved son. In him, I am well pleased. What a great thing for Jesus to hear that before he did anything. And God wants all of you to hear that this, this year. And I'm the one, it's the messenger. God wants you to hear, he loves you. You are his beloved and in you, he is well pleased. Simply because you, if you come to him in Jesus, you get everything that he has for Jesus. It's the coolest thing. So we, our failures allow us to realize that we have value even when we fail, and especially when we share our failure, failures with each other. Because if I tell Sean how badly I've blown it and still see that Sean loves me and values me as a person, that is an experience of grace that I don't want to do without. And if I have to fail to feel it, then bring it on. I want to experience that kind of love from God and from other people. Our failures also allow us to grow in perseverance, courage, and fortitude. When we fail, um, it's an invitation to re-up. It's, it's an invitation to commit again, to go again, to grow again. 
in God. I think that's it for our failures. Let's look at, oh no, one more. It keeps us humble. And really, isn't that one of the most powerful things that God calls us to is a sense of humility, a sense that he is God and we are not. There's nothing like a good failure to remind you. He's God, I ain't. It's a good thing. So that's what our failures do for us. Some pretty good, impressive stuff, right? What about God's failures? How do God's failures benefit us? If you can bear with me in this concept, God's failures, and notice I have them in quote, uh, quotes, but God's failures, when he does not show up for us in the way that we wish he would, it allows us to press in harder, to cry louder, to cry longer. Because what, what God wants for you and me and everyone in this room is for us to take responsibility for pressing in and getting what we need from him. Does he want to give it? Yes. But he wants to give it when we are fully bent on getting it. God says, you would, when you seek for me with your whole heart, I will be found by you. And so when God fails to show up when we want him to, it allows our hearts to be fully given over to, to pressing in. What's next? God's failure allows us to demonstrate faith and endurance. Sometimes when God does not seem to be there for us, we have a chance to show what Job did when God seemed so absent in his life. To say, even though I don't see him, even if he slays me, Job says, I will still serve him. Even if I don't see where he is in this, I know he is in it somewhere. Isn't that a great thing? When we fail God, we find his faithfulness to us. But when he fails us, we get to grow in faithfulness to him. What a great thing is that? Isn't that awesome? That God, as much as he wants you to know his faithfulness to us, he wants to know our faithfulness to him. It's a great thing. It's a great partnership that he calls us to. What's next? He allows, his failure allow us to grow in trust and faithfulness. As I said before, that's his invitation to, to demonstrate faithfulness to him even when he fails us. Next, God's failures increase our resourcefulness. All the roots go deeper when it's dry. When my usual tricks of getting what I want from God, um, when my quiet time dries up, when the people that I go to for counsel have only dumb things to say, when, um, when I pray and I get nothing, it causes me to dig deeper. It causes me to, to examine whether there's something within me that I need to engage in a more powerful way to honor God in this situation when he's not doing what I wish that he would do. What's the, fine, what's the next thing? It increases our longing for him and for eternity. The truth is that our desire for God will never be fully satisfied this side of eternity. And ironically, the more you grow up in him, the more your desire for him will grow too. And he will never completely satisfy that longing because he wants you to remember it ain't here that you belong. You're made for eternity. You're made for him. And until you're with him in eternity, you are going to have moments when you feel longing and desire that he is not going to be there to the extent that you wish him. Even in your best moments of worship and praise, you're going to feel this ache for more. That's when God's failure to show up 
drives you toward your destiny, which is a great thing. So that's where failures come in. So let's take a look um, in the few minutes that we have left at the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are found in Matthew 1, uh, 5, 1 through 10. And it's kind of cool because um, this is the, if you open your New Testament, these are the first words that Jesus teaches. In fact, the verse begins by saying this. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, now in the old King James Version, it says, he opened his mouth and taught them saying. Now, I like that because what it indicates is not just like this was in there somewhere, but like when Jesus sat down and opened his mouth, this is what came out. And what came out is arguably the most profound teaching in all of human history. I believe it's a cornerstone of Jesus' teaching and that when he opened his mouth on that first big sermon, what came out was miraculous and beautiful. So what does it say? Um, each, each of the, the Beatitudes, and, and the word Beatitude, by the way, comes from the Latin Beata, which means blessed, because all of these Beatitudes are about being blessed or blessed. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about what that means in a minute. But I just want to run through them real quickly. And I want to encourage you all to memorize the Beatitudes. If you're going to be coming for this series, memorize them. If you're not going to be coming to this series, memorize the Beatitudes. Because if you chew on them and meditate on them and ask God for insight, your life will be changed. I guarantee He will meet you um, through the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Each of these first four Beatitudes takes something that seems bad and turns it on its head and says, this is a good thing. You'll notice that in each one of them, Jesus is saying, it's really good for you if you do this because you're going to get something in return. All of the Beatitudes are relational. They guarantee you that if you orient yourself toward God in a certain way, He will meet you in a very particular fashion. And that's the cool thing about the Beatitudes is that they are relational and that they give us promises. It's just like the 12 steps. If you go through the 12 steps, there are promises that you can count on that you will find growing in your life if you follow the path. That's what the Beatitudes are all about. Let's look at the second four. The first four had to do with how we relate to God. The second four, I believe, have more to do with how we relate to each other. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You'll notice that the promise of the first one and the last one are the same, which indicates to me that Jesus is proposing sort of a loop, that this is a, progress, a, a procession or a, a progression that we will go through over and over again. Just like the 12 steps, if you think you just do with them once and you're done, I have not necessarily great news for you. <laughs> um, it's, it's something that it takes a lifetime to really engage in a way that will truly transform you, body and soul. So the Beatitudes are an invitation for a, 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 a progression of growth. Well, what is it taking us to? It's taking us to what Jesus calls blessedness. The word blessed is translated from a Greek word. You'll see up there, it's called, it's makarios. 
Um, makarios is a word that has to do with wholeness. It has to do with peace and well-being. It has to do with being fortunate, even enviable, um, because of the happiness and the sense of joy inherent in the word of Makarios. Jesus was inviting his listeners to engage life in a way that would lead them to true happiness and peace. As a psychiatrist, when I ask people, what do you want most? Many people will say, I want to be happy. I want to have peace within. Because everyone in this room, if you're a human being, and I think most of you are, um, you want to be happy. You want to have peace. You want to have well-being. And Makarios is what, what, all, what that's about. Um, a few other little notes about Makarios. Um, it means supremely blessed, fortunate, well-off, enviable, happy. It has to do with a, the root of it is mac, which is sort of the opposite of micro, which means to become long or large. The Beatitudes, the blessedness of the Beatitudes is in a process of enlarging. We've already talked about it. It grows us up spiritually, but it also enlarges our capacity to engage life in a loving way. It enlarges our capacity for grace and enlarges our capacity to experience God's love for us and to release it to other people. God wants to grow you up and he wants your heart to get huge. And the Beatitudes will help you get there. So we want, to, uh, we want to get bigger. We want to get long. We want to get large. So we have to be willing to be stretched. For, for Catalina to have a new baby this year, guess what? She's got to stretch. Her body is going to get stretched. and It's going to be uncomfortable. But, but I guarantee you Catalina will bear with the stretching because of the promise of new life. And as we go down this journey of the Beatitudes, some of you, if you really get serious about it, are going to feel stretched. And some of it's going to feel really good, like the stretching of your fibers of your stomach when you eat a good meal. That's a pleasant stretch. Um, when you stretch your muscles, you know, before you work out, that can be a pleasant stretch. But when you're pregnant, that's an unpleasant stretch. But it's the stretch that allows for new life to form. And it's a stretch that we all want to engage. We want to experience growth in grace. So to, to grow in grace, um, God extends us, through the Beatitudes, an invitation. He promises to confer blessings on us in response to our cultivation of certain postures of heart and soul. Also, as we align ourselves with Him through the Beatitudes, our hearts are enlarged and we experience a greater capacity for love and His goodness. You want that? Be ready to stretch. It is totally worth it. So let's do this. Let's go just briefly in the, like about five minutes. We're going to run through the Beatitudes just to give you guys a little bit of a taste of what's ahead. You want that? Oh, good. I was hoping you'd say yes. So this, isn't that a cute picture? This is where we start. When we're born again, we start in a place of poverty of spirit. Babies, you know, they get squeezed through the birth canal and everything gets squeezed out of their little lungs. They got nothing when they come out. And when they take that first breath of air, they get a little gasp of, of sustenance, a little gasp of air. But from the time they're born until the time they get to be about 18 months, they're pretty much helpless. They pretty much can do nothing except cry and coo a little bit and cuddle. But 
the baby, for the most part, can't give us anything except the warm feeling you feel when you just look at a precious thing like that. Well, the cool thing about the Beatitudes is that Jesus says we can get comfortable with powerlessness. Did you know that what drives a lot of us to addiction and to unhealthy relationships is our sense of emptiness, our sense of inadequacy, our sense of powerlessness and longing. And that's why we reach for things like money or cigarettes or caffeine or pornography or that next relationship because we're trying to fill up something in us that we feel uncomfortable with. In the Beatitudes, Jesus invites us to get comfortable with emptiness, to get comfortable with powerlessness, to get comfortable with being poor in spirit. Because he says, when you're there, nothing on the earth will move you because you become a citizen of heaven. Isn't that great? If you want to get free this year, one thing I got to ask you to do is get comfortable with powerlessness, be comfortable with emptiness, get okay with being inadequate. That may not sound like good news, but I can tell you it's profoundly good news. If you stop letting your emptiness and inadequacy and powerlessness drive you, you will find a new sense of calm. What's next? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Toddlers do a lot of this. Did you notice that? That's why they call it the terrible twos. They, they, they whine, they complain, they pound their fist on the floor um, because they're dealing with grief. They're dealing with negative feelings that come when they can't have their way, when the world is not their oyster. And negative feelings, if powerlessness and emptiness drive us to do bad things, negative feelings can do it too. And many of us turn to our addictions to avoid negative feelings. Because we've experienced losses, we want to deny our loss and grab onto something that we can fill up that place with. Because we don't like feeling those feelings of pain and hurt and frustration and failure. We don't like feeling disappointment and anger. And so we numb out by trying to get something to make it go away. And we get pretty successful at it. But Jesus is saying in the second beatitude, if you will become friends to your negative feelings, if you will learn how to mourn and mourn well, then you will find comfort without reaching for the bottle or the computer or the shopping bag or whatever it is that you find comfort in. If you'll get comfortable grieving, you will be free of that impulse. What's next? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. We don't like feeling powerless, and so we try to take control. And for many of you, your need for control is what drives your addictions. You turn to one thing or another to get sense, a sense of control. And in meekness, God and Jesus invites us to find power under control. Not through control, but by yielding control. By going to God and giving Him free reigns. And we're going to talk about how that shows up in the 12 steps. The fourth beatitude says this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So if, if emptiness doesn't drive you, if your negative feelings don't drive you, if your need for control doesn't drive you, then your, your desire for pleasure might. Your passion might. Jesus says, if you'll get comfortable being hungry and thirsty, and if you'll make righteousness your aim, then you will not be driven to reach out to other things. 
Well, that's the first four. I was gonna touch on all eight, but we're gonna stop here because it's eight o'clock and it's time for me to stop. But I, I promise you, we'll get there. And I, I really believe that if you will go along this path with me through the Beatitudes, you're gonna find new life. You're gonna find some freshness. You're gonna find help growing up in God. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you invite us to be born again. As weird as it seems to us to be born again, as uncomfortable it is for us to admit our powerlessness, as much as we hate feeling those negative feelings, as much as we desire like everything to have a sense of control, and as much as we crave pleasure, we know that through the Beatitudes, you invite us to a new way of being, to a new way of being comfortable with emptiness and pain, with powerlessness and with with need that invites us to let you be everything so that nothing this earth has can move us. God, thank you that you've designed us for life with you, that we are made not only to be your children, but to be the bride of Christ, to grow up in all ways like you are so that we can fill out our eternal destiny. We can fill out those shoes that you've designed us to walk in, that we can experience life this year from a place of peace, that we can know serenity, that we can have a sense of your presence with us day by day, that we can be fully present in our lives to give and receive love. Lord, bless us and make us a blessing. Let 2013, 2013 be the best year yet for following you, for growing up in you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.